he really had a thing of not liking me because I used open source. Called me a hippie or something. He had, he was not <laughs> nice kid, but I'm not trusting some long-haired young young kid like that with my systems. Hey everyone, it's David Bumble back with Tom from Lawrence Systems. So I'm really happy to have Tom here because I think for my personal opinion, he's one of the best people to talk to when you want to talk about firewalls, specifically PFSense. Tom, welcome. Thank you. This is this is exciting. This all started as like a tweet. It did, you know? yeah. And people are like, I want to see these two people have a conversation. I'm like, why haven't we had a conversation? So here we are. <laughs> Give us a bit of history. You run your own business, is that right? But you also create YouTube videos. Yes. So a little bit of history is, and we were laughing because... Um, it came up about our tax ID the other day when we were setting something up for a client. Someone's like, your tax ID is really a low number. And I'm like, well, we've been in business for 19 years. I didn't realize oh, that wow. myself. I was like, wow. Because I mean, we started, well, I started in 2003. Uh, and here we are in 2022. And I'm like, wow, we're pushing pushing 20 years. Prior to that, even though I was young, I was head of IT for a pretty large uh, transportation provider. We're here in the Detroit area and transportation related to automotive is uh, just a big part of the, it's what runs our industry here in Detroit. My first technical job was actually all the way back in 1994. It's the first time I got working as a job, not a hobby in computers. So yeah, I've got, I've got quite the career in it. Now, I want to leverage that experience. <laughs> um, how long have you been working with PFSense? And, you know, could you give us like an idea of like, what is it? Is it a router? Is it a firewall? What is it? And, you know, do you recommend it? I'm assuming you do, because I've seen you create so much content about it. It started out with uh, MonoWall, if you remember that, if you were ever working with uh, open source firewalls. There was a handful of different ones in the beginning. And uh, oddly, some of these were used um, in the in the corporate world because the flexibility was not there with uh, some of the Cisco equipment when you wanted some really interesting things. Yeah. So I started digging into open source firewalls around 2000, oddly enough. Somewhere along the lines of all the different ones I tried, which I've lost in history, outside of like IP fire, IP cop, and they put IP in front of everything in the early days. <laughs> um, then then came MonoWall. Now, the big difference for MonoWall, which eventually became the PFSense project, was it's BSD-based. And the, the PF and PFSense stands for the PF filter system. So this system is just really robust in BSD. But one of the interesting notes about BSD in general is I always joke that BSD does it first, sometimes Linux does it better. Uh, but better is always the later thing. So like the idea of anything from containerization to large scalable networks, this is something that's been available in BSD forever, but Docker is the hotness today and IP tables is very capable and all the different functionality is now in the Linux kernel for these larger state tables and things like that. But early, and this is what made the BSD platform so popular in the large enterprise space, um, and, and still why companies like Juniper use it, is it's always been there for being able to handle not just a home firewall, but actually scale to the business level. So starting using it, ah, that's a Somewhere in the 2010-ish or maybe sometime after, not very early days of the project yeah. because the project, as I said, was kind of – to say it's really a fork, it's more like when they took it over, they called it PFSense as opposed to Monowall. Uh, but the exact date, I don't remember, but I was giving talks on it at open source conferences, which is eventually what led me to the YouTube part of it. I've seen you answer these kind of questions before, but just to like quick fire, it's open source, is that right? Yes, so, I mean, you can download the source code off GitHub. You can do all that kind of thing. Is that right? 
Absolutely. I've been a long time open source advocate. Uh, I've got one foot in the open source community, the other foot in the hacking community. And the understanding of both of those disciplines going, if you can't see the source, what's in it? And the hacking community goes, I know what we're going to put in it. And so you kind of put those two things together and you go, you know, I really think we should be able to validate the code that runs on our devices. It just seems um, from a security standpoint. And that was not the most uh, common opinion 10 years ago. Today, exactly, it's like, yeah. no, no. You know, they're talking about whole software uh, bills that have like, what do they call that? The um, software inventory reports and everything else because people are like, we really need to know what's in here. We need to be able to audit the source code. That's just common because it's a real security concern here uh, in 2022. Being able to have everything open source with PFSense is pretty awesome. So you have you know, full access source code. It's actually very helpful for troubleshooting because if you start searching for maybe an error message you get, I've found times when you land on GitHub because then you can start go, oh, this is the section of code that's giving me this error that then if I, you know, savvy enough to read some of the code, I can go, oh, I understand the logic now that built up to this. It's also allowed for a lot of people to have plugins within it because they, they have a whole plugin architecture. Uh, and if you're a you know, developer, you can go, oh, I can look at the way this is implemented. I can look at the way they spec'd it out. And then I can see how it integrates with the code. So it's always been huge to me to have firewalls. Uh, they sit at the border of everything. So having all the code available for them is uh, really, you know, pretty important to me. You do a lot of consultancy and you, and you help customers with their networks. Do you deploy a lot of this stuff? A lot. There are yeah. so many companies using it. Now, obviously, one of the things that comes with the trade, as you know, is when you do a lot of consultancy, companies go, No problem. Here's your NDA, so you're not going to talk about us or or everything else. They don't list their clients. It's used extensively in the banking systems, uh, banking industry. We do a lot of consulting in that, especially your smaller independent banks. Uh, they don't trust uh, some of the, even like they want to have lease lines between buildings, like the dark fiber type stuff, the non-online tunnels, they still encapsulate again. And PFSense is a really popular edge device for them. Uh, so we've done a lot of those type of configurations for them. And then just a lot of other small businesses in general, uh, PFSense, especially you know, since the pandemic, uh, the number of PFS instances we installed dramatically increased because it has all the different VPN models built in. You have WireGuard, you have IPsec, and you have um, OpenVPN, and all with no limits on it. Limit is really your hardware, not licensing. So companies that go, I need 100 people remote now. Oh, how much? what's the best solution? So PFSense comes up a lot. So let's uh, do, ask you a really nasty question. Firepower or PFSense? PF sets. Yeah, I'm, I, I can't, I'm shaking my head because I, I, there was a great post on Reddit. It was a rant about firepower. And it says, is anyone who didn't get a, a demo license actually using this? And people said it was too confusing for Cisco to set up is what someone said. I mean, there's good aspects of it, but like the full breadth of it. Um, I, I think Cisco, I don't know. It's an interesting, I, I've done Cisco work. It's not my specialty, but I've yeah, I know. I know you're a lot more into it. I'm a Cisco guy, years and years and years. But it's uh, yeah. it's interesting how, like you said, the world has changed. The old days of like everything is like, say, in networking, it's just Cisco. Open source has really taken over a lot of areas and become really, really popular. So, I mean, I, I, it's a nasty question, and I, I knew the answer that I was going to get. But it, it's um, it's interesting. So, if customers were evaluating like different firewalls, is one of the reasons I think you mentioned is is that because of the licensing, there's uh, this stuff is much, is cheaper to install. What's the cost of installing like a PFSense firewall? So the the huge thing that matters to people in the business world, and this is where just because they're they're looking for free things is sometimes the answer why people like open source. And it's not exactly true in the business world. And I, I think the biggest uh, example on on a large scale would be Red Hat. 
Red Hat is a software company that gives away their software because they do open source, but we're bought for $32 billion because yeah. of the value they create. It's the support that matters. And yeah. this is where PFSense, I look at open source projects and evaluate them whether or not there's a plan, a business model. Cool that it's open source. That's step one. Step two, is there a business model that means this is a sustainable project that will have a life? Come the way the PFSense, the stewards of the PFSense project is the NetGate company, and NetGate is... Uh, you have a business model selling hardware. And because they're using an open source software and they have a team of developers on staff that the proceeds they make from selling hardware fund the project, plus there's the ability to buy support contracts. Combine that all together, and it's what makes PFSense a real evaluation. People don't mind paying for support. They're absolutely happy to do so, especially businesses. They're going, what kind of SLA agreements can I get? What's the support contract? And things like that. What businesses don't like is when they are locked into a product that this is the license deal this year or Next year, it might be more. We're not telling you until the renewal comes up. And that makes businesses nervous because it's a harder to predict model. But at least support and SLA agreements, they're pretty steady and they're very uh, predictable. So that's a big thing that goes in there is the less confusing licensing. Oh, cool. The support contract per device is this. End of story. Whatever we want to do with it. If we have 10 users or 100 users, is a hardware scaling, not a license scaling issue. Take us down the sort of the journey like, okay, so I want to deploy this at my house. Um, what device would you recommend? Is there like a hardware device or is it virtual? For the home user, that it, it starts with the question of, do you want to load it yourself? I highly encourage people to because we, let's put our hands on some hardware. Let's have some fun. Let's build this from scratch. And you can use any basically x86 computer that has two network cards in it. Highly recommend you use some Intel cards. Matter of fact, go on eBay, you find one of those little four port cards. This is a great way for you to learn the hardware ins and outs. But that's not for everybody. If you want to buy a turnkey device that just works, they make a little box that's, uh, depending on where you're at, pricing right around the $200 that you can buy directly from NetGate. And this is the SG1100. This is a clever little box that uh, comes preloaded. It's actually based on ARM and I said x86 for PSNs downloads, but there are a handful of certain devices made by NetGate that do support ARM. There's a very specific comp compilation they do for ARM, but it's not available to the public. Still the same open source software, different comp uh, compilation. And uh, these ARM devices are nice for inexpensive. It's very low power. So if that's a concern, uh, that's one of the advantages you get with ARM. And the nice thing about this, it's the same PFSense. Now, obviously, there's some trade-offs. If you go with a little $200 box and you go, but I have gigabit internet or two yeah. and a half gig yeah. internet. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not going to route. And if you want to set up 20 remote users with VPN, well, I have some bad news. It's not going to route very fast. Um, you, there, there's going to be some limitations. And NetGate has boxes that just keep scaling upwards as you go. Or, of course, the third option I'll at least give a mention to because I do my labs in this. It can be virtualized in VMware. Proxmox and XCPNG. You can virtualize these. Uh, obviously, you have to have a pretty good understanding of virtualization and how to manage your WAN and things like that. Uh, so it's not always a recommended one. It's more advanced. And there's some other challenges that can come with uh, setting things up in WAN because uh, when you start leveraging hardware offload, hence I mentioned the Intel cards, if you try to do things like control flow streams and stuff that's built into those more advanced networking chips, well, those don't exist in your in the same way in your virtualization stack unless you have something like uh, IRVOT, the, um, where you pass the network card into the VM. So now you made it more complicated again. But it's absolutely for people who are playing in labs, which is me a lot of times, I love my virtualization installs because I can build scenarios very, very quickly. 
Is it like VMware Workstation or is it ESXi? Which uh, VMware is supported, did you say? Uh, both. As a matter of fact, I, I will throw VirtualBox in there for those you just want to run it there. You can definitely set this up and get it working in VirtualBox if you just want to play with a lab environment. Um, one of the fun things about it is when you're doing in virtualization, I, I know there's all kinds of cool networking software out there that will help you build things, but I like building it with some real virtualized installs and setting things up. I mean, you can uh, PF Sense to go all the way out there. We, we, you mentioned like, you know, uh, your knowledge on BGP and things like that. Well, you can build your own BGP lab with a couple PF Senses and uh, load FRR and get them talking to each other and build your own simulated BGP with two PF Senses. What about Raspberry Pi? Is it supported in that? No, that's um, when I do my 2022 video, that's actually going to be when I cover the hardware. Though the first things I'm going to say, because it's the most common question that's in the list, is <laughs> can I load it on Raspberry Pi? Uh, I don't think there's any plans for the Pi because the uh, NetGate hardware is, and ARM is so specific, and they the compilation they have is uh, very unique for the NetGate. Like for each model they have, they have a different compilation for that specific model, that specific board. Uh, so I don't think it's ever going to be out there where someone builds compilations in ARM of PFSense. I don't see it as a likely scenario. What would you recommend if I'm starting? Buy the device or just virtualizing like VirtualBox and Cradle Lab? Yeah, if you want to play with it in a lab environment, um, absolutely virtualizing it is great. But if you, I, I'm really partial, especially just because of the learning curve and where home lab people often are, uh, buying some type of hardware device is great. Then that is, is, they have a model now, the 6100 series that has 10 gig ports on it. That's in the $700 range, depending on where you're at. So now you have a router with 10, two 10 gig SFP plus ports on it um, and several other ports. I think there's six ports in total on that box. And you're talking under $1,000 to get something that will, A, route at your high speed, one gig or even faster internet that you may have at your home. Because I'm, I'm shocked at the number of people that seem to have uh, access to two and a half gig at home recently. It seems like uh, that's been a great rollout, which is awesome. But of course, that brings you to the question of, I need something fast enough to route this because you, most of your consumer stuff you're going to find at a big box store just can't handle that level of speed. Uh, so the 60, the 6100 by NetGate, nice turnkey, supported by um, NetGate. Uh, they come with some basic levels of support with the option to buy more if you need it. So for home users, they usually don't. And the forums uh, are a wonderful place to get support. There's a subreddit for it. And of course, my videos, I've got tons of walkthroughs on how to do pretty much from from, from the time you turn it on till uh, getting all kinds of advanced features set up on there. Yeah, I'm going to link those below because I mean, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this for everyone, you know, go and look at Tom. YouTube channel, go and subscribe. He's got a lot of great content about this. So this is more like high level, trying to like give real world direction. Okay, so for home, you've, you've given us some recommendations. You, you Again, you deploy this stuff all the time. So small, medium business, give, you could just pick a customer perhaps as a, like a use case. Which device did you use? What problem did it solve, et cetera? Real world use case we have for a lot of these is we had a, a one of the bigger ones was a medical facility and they have about 7,000 users on it. And we just set them up with a pair of 7100s. Um, we put them in HA mode. Now, a cool thing about HA mode, and I even have a, a demo of how to do this on their lowest end hardware, that a little 1100 I mentioned, you can buy the most basic PFSense and all those features. You can put BGP on it, you can set it up in HA mode, and that's the $200 box. Get to the several thousand dollar boxes. Um, the real world use case we'll have is obviously high availability means a lot to people. And that comes back to some of the licensing because there is no licensing for HA on PF Sense. And this is something because I had previously replaced a company that um, 
their firewalls had the price, but then the HA price, as they put it, was a bit ridiculous. And that's common. They're like, because everything's an upsell. Like, what other feature can we sell you? Uh, so we actually swapped out all their commercial, if you, I don't know, commercial is the right word, because obviously PF Sense is still commercial, but equipment that required extensive licensing, we'll say. <laughs> you won't mention a name, but yes, I come, I'm kind of getting a drift here, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we replaced all that. And we were able to look at everything that was set up in the previous equipment, match all the features, also offer them HA, and uh, somewhere along the lines, the person bidding against us with what was offering the previous solution told us it was not possible to do these things with PFSense, but yeah. it's been installed for a few years. Now, it's got all the proper segmentation, VLANs, uh, being it's a medical facility, they have uh, really strict rules for how things are set up. So, you know, you have your equipment networks, which is very locked down and private. They actually have a separate guest network. And there's plenty of interfaces on these to not just set them up as VLANs, because the problem with VLANs is the shared medium. Um, you know, there's bandwidth considerations when you have 7,000 variety of people and devices to get connected on there. Uh, but by doing all this and using, you know, breaking out each one, setting up segmentation on the network, uh, they just had a handful of public IPs. They're actually, and this is not something everyone's completely familiar with, but the uh, different traffic inspection requirements, things like Snort. And Snort is actually owned by Cisco. And Cisco's done actually a good job of keeping up all the intelligence feeds. Um, Cisco hides it, so to speak. I don't think Cisco publicly says that, like in their, they'll say they're doing traffic inspection, but honestly, their IDS systems are all based on Snort, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, I, I, I don't know all the detail because I know they've been doing a lot of acquisitions um, and things are changing. But uh, yeah, I know they've got Snort and they, they, they push Snort a lot in a lot of products. Yeah, it's inside a lot of their products, yeah. but the way PF Sense does it is you can still buy those feeds. Matter of fact, you can still buy the Snort feeds from Cisco and plug them in uh, inside if you need to do, because traffic inspection frequently get into an enterprise network. They need to do some levels of IDS intrusion systems. Uh, so we're able to put all these solutions together in one device. Now, granted, you're going to have to buy the feeds, but you have to pay the subscriptions anyways. But paying a subscription for a threat intelligence feed is substantially less, of course, than buying all the licenses for some of the other products. Um, and But back to that thing we met, brought up earlier, uh, being a medical place, this is, the, everything's critical. Uh, they do have an internal staff, but the internal staff contracted us, so we worked hand in hand with them to you know, figure out the solution, deploy the solution. And of course, at the end of the day, they want some support agreements. So they bought SLA agreements from, um, they bought them directly from NetGate for there, where the tier support for all the configuration and setup. And when we're done, we hand the, we, Oh, keys of the kingdom, if you will, back over to their <laughs> internal IT team. So they do all the day-to-day -day maintenance on it, make sure all the VPNs are working because they have some things that are remote. And it also has all the remote sites tied in there. Uh, this is something, well, we're slowly moving because in the most recent uh, year, WireGuard has become very popular. Normally, IPsec VPNs are popular and still in use. They're, they're probably still the business standard when you have site-to-site -site things set up. And being medical, um, in within we, the actually kind of fun story, uh, when we do these third-party medical companies, there's one large medical conglomerate here in Detroit, and they now have write-ups from us uh, on how to interop PF Sense with right. their networks. And they uh, they recognized when my staff was setting up one of the medical offices, and we have to do IPsec between PF Sense and uh, they use Cisco, but they all have the interops, and they're like, "Oh, you're the Lawrence guys." That's actually what they tell my staff when they're talking <laughs> to them. They know us now, and they have their own internal documentation. Uh, and the guys had watched some of my videos on it, which I thought was really funny. Uh, so we got to interact with some of the people that are the internal IT for this large healthcare conglomerate. But because uh, interoperability is still there, you know, we've in uh, so this medical place we set them up full interop with their other companies that they need to get the 
uh, scans and x-rays and all the stuff. That, I don't know what all it is. I know it's all the, it looks like a bunch of x-ray stuff. I, I tr We try to uh, separate ourselves. We don't, don't ever show patient stuff. Yeah, I get <laughs> that. I mean, it's, uh, I wanted to ask you now that you, that you we're getting to the weeds a little bit about commercial. So if I was going to buy a PFSense, just so that everyone understands, what's the actual cost? The hardware is really the only cost because you can download it for free. Now there's a little bit of a schism and there's PFSense and PFSense Plus. PFSense is the project. PFSense Plus is a product. And there's a few extra features you get with PFSense Plus. Uh, they do have the, it's kind of like a license uh, that you can buy. They currently give it away for free, but they said the price is going to be like $179 a year. And it's just referred to as TAC light support. So it's that, this is the terminology used by the team over at NetGate where you can buy this if you want. You can still use the other one for free. Uh, but if you go for this, you get some support agreements. It's a few hundred dollars a year. It's relatively inexpensive. And if you want like full few hour SLA agreements, you can just hit the little pull down on the license and contact NetGate and register your product for the higher end licenses if needed. And this is what some of the businesses do. They go, oh, it's only, I, I think their pricing uh, right now is somewhere in the few, uh, like it's eight, $900 a year. Uh, and for for an SLA agreement that has like a guaranteed four hour response, that's which amazing. is just yeah. that's why I said that is so inexpensive. So many companies go, well, that's it. Well, just throw it in the bill. Like they're not even. It's not even a question at that point. You're like, we thought you're going to say that much a month. Is usually how some of the responses go. <laughs> Um, now, the cool thing you get with PSNs Plus, there's there's the upsell they have, and this is not part of their open source repository. So the PFSense Plus is still based on PFSense. It is still the same open source firewall, but the add-ons are kind of proprietary that NetGate offers, but they're not ones that home users care about. So I let I tell home users, if you don't need it, don't use it. There's some VPN import exports. There's a uh, AWS wizard. So in a lot of people, and we have a few use cases like this where um, they have their PFSense tied to their AWS instance for all their programming. So even though the employees are working at an office, they need an always-on IPsec VPN. And being able to just throw in a, a wizard to connect you to AWS in your instance where all your uh all your servers are is great. That way you're not publicly exposing your AWS necessarily. Everything has to be piped through the tunnel. It's a great feature to have because it's so much easier to set up than having to go through. I mean, easy for us, but the average person who doesn't set up IPsec every day goes, how do I get the AWS instance? If you get to, if you have the PFSense Plus and use the wizard, you're like, oh, I can just drop my ID in here and it'll contact, call and be done. Click. All right. Great. Thanks. <laughs> We've been discussing a lot of like the great things about PFSense. Are there, in your experience, is there anything that it can't do where you'd have to go to, let's say, a non-open source like solution, um, like some from the big companies? Is there anything where you've like, okay, this PFSense is not the right product. I need to get like a firepower or something else. Absolutely. So I'm very open about this because yeah. I, I tell people they come up with like some predefined list. We need these specific things, and no exception. These have to be in there. Well, then PFSense may not be for you. The big one's going to be um, PFSense, despite, and I'm critical of this, they say, oh, we do traffic inspection. Full SSL and PFSense is a headache, and I won't support it. I won't sell it. I won't set it up. So someone who goes, I want full traffic inspection, full SSL termination. Mm, that's just not something PFSense is great at. They're still using Squid, um, but it's just a lot of work to manage. So okay. if you have a very defined requirement that you have to do full traffic inspection and there's not many firewalls out there that will do TLS 1.3 inspection where they use the 
double encryption, essentially, where you have the inner, I call them inner and outer keys, but it's that second Diffie-Hellman exchange. So the layer is in there. The, the only way to do that is to set up a lot of uh, interesting things inside of a firewall. There's, a, there's very few companies that are able to do this. So they can basically terminate TLS 1.3 between the endpoint and the firewall and then the website and the firewall, which of course you have to put bypasses in for anyone who uses certificate pinning, Google, PayPal. Um, it just becomes this big uh, challenge. So any of that type of work, we PF Sense is just not your ideal firewall. So if that is your hardline requirement. Now, when you're working in the enterprise space, a lot of people don't realize you have um, often separated devices. So the traffic inspection is either A, just done by some other application loaded on the endpoint or by a separate device, a proxy in their network. So you'll see actually these corporate companies, because some people think you can't use PFSense because traffic inspection is a requirement to enterprise. I'm like, it's a requirement? Frequently, yes, they have very strict rules around it, but that's often done by a separate device. And, you know, Cisco makes some of these proxies that are specifically for web filtering. They're, they're dedicated devices because once you ratchet it up to needing that full TLS 1.3 inspection, you usually need some dedicated hardware if you have a few thousand users. It's not something your edge device necessarily does. When you said small, medium, you like said 7,000 users for your that yeah. medical. So that's quite big already. What's the biggest that you've done? And I mean, if it's NDA, don't worry about it, but kind of give us like a ballpark. Yeah, without going through uh, that I can't reveal, there, there's one of them that's a product that would have been heard of by everyone. And it's what sits at their data center levels. The scale they operate that at is amazing to me. Um, because I'm like, wow, I did not realize PFSense was sitting at the edge of this. Now, it's obviously passing traffic through. There, there are certain limitations, and this is what they were running into. They're, they're hitting a scalability problem, and uh, we won't get too off topic on this, but there is a alternative product from NetGate, and the reason they developed it is because they realized some of these people are like, hey, we scaled, but um, this million user problem we have? <laughs> a million users. Okay, that's, so that's crazy, yeah. It's based on hits. It's external because it's being forwarded through the PFSense, but when they get to these really large they make another product called uh, Tensor, and Tensor is based on vector packet routing and is able to scale to another level. So, because you can't have a PFSense that hits the 100 gig, it's just going to have a lot of problems. 10 gig you can do in PFSense, um, depending on the processor, individual states. Uh, streams are only going to be limited to about 2 gigs. There's some BSD kernel limitations. Uh, that next level scale comes into vector packet routing, which oddly is an open source thing from Cisco. That's great. So I mean, let's talk about scaling then, because so, so you, if you, your biggest interface, did you say is 10 gig? Is that the highest speed you would go? Yeah. Once you get bigger than 10 gig, you kind of have to start looking at separating things out. Uh, PFSense is not really a 25 gig or 100 gig product right now. I don't know where it will be in the future, but there's some, there's some fundamental limitations it starts to have um, at there. So it's, it starts to, it's the number of states and the way states are processed inside the kernel. This is completely why, and this is actually an interesting feature, if you start with a piece of NetGate hardware and you run into some of these limitations, uh, NetGate actually supports swapping the operating system to be Tensor, which is another open source project they have. Um, it, it would be more familiar for people. It doesn't have a web interface. Um, it's all command line driven, but it's it's something used more at a data center level uh, at the large scale data center. So you, now you need that even faster routing. You need those uh, higher scalable systems. You get off into those. We don't do much with Tensor. Um, when people run into some of those problems, we just start deferring them to NetGate because NetGate's the, the only expert consultant I'm aware of on the Tensor product. And then how many like VPN connections could we have? Like, can you oh. give us like, where would you, and this is just your opinion, like where would you be like comfortable like using PFSense? We have a lot in the um, 100 user 
uh, range. That, that's really not a problem. Um, we frequently will have it set up and, you know, where they're, we tie PFSense to their Active Directory, so it's part of their normal login, part of their Windows and everything else. Uh, you, you can take the OpenVPN authentication, you can use Radius, or you can use LDAP, and then you yeah. can tie it into there. Uh, we have a lot of businesses in that category for all their uh, remotes. Uh, we actually have um, a colo that we set up, and I'm trying to remember exactly how many. They have a pretty big development team that's um, scattered globally, and their dev team. All remotes into PFSense with a series of, well, where they want to move to WireGuard because they've run into some problems when you start having a, a lot of users in a high bandwidth problem. Um, OpenVPN, OpenVPN in the future is going to be faster, but where it's at today, there's certain limitations because uh, it, it doesn't multi-thread very well with the encryption. So we're moving some people over to looking at WireGuard solutions to be able to be a little bit faster. WireGuard has its own challenges because it doesn't have any user management, but that's gets gets a little deep into weeds and off topic, but uh, it's not uncommon for people to have you know eighty hundred people set up in there, all authenticating on there. As long as you have a fast enough hardware to run it, uh, you're, you're generally pretty good. So eighty one hundred concurrent VPN users, like ten gig interface. Uh, that's kind of where you're comfortable. Any other like sort of guidelines based on your experience? That starts to put the um, word limit is in some of the PF sense, and I know this does rule out some of the larger where you might start recommending going, hey, you know, because if someone said I have this, and Juniper's um, one of the big ones we see a lot of out there. Uh, someone says, hey, I got this many. I got a million users. I have some incredible amount. This one we're going to go, you know, it may not be the right fit for you. I, I, I get people's enthusiasm, but there are some scaling limitations. The other option is going to be something like Tensor, which is going to be a little bit harder to configure because it doesn't have the web interface. Um, but yeah, there are some upper limits where I think you go, okay, maybe not PFSense for you. So that mid-market, I would say, is probably a better market for them. Let's say I'm a younger person. I am thinking of starting a consultancy business like you. I know you've had videos or you've created videos on this yeah. in the past, but what's your advice? I'm 21 or 25, like kind of when you started. What you, you've, done, you've done this now. What would you advise someone to do if they were thinking about doing a consultancy business? For the consultancy side, uh, spend a lot of time understanding how to provide a solution to the customer, not just being technically adept. That's something where technicians fail as a business. They are very technical and they, they may, may, may understand very deeply how to configure a firewall, how to write these rules, how to set up BGP. But if you can't understand how that provides an efficiency, solves a problem for the business. That's where that disconnect comes in from owning a business to just being a consultant. Because uh, some people go, well, I work for this person and they're billing me out um, at double my rate so I could be making that much more myself is the first thought they have and they want to go out on their own. But then they realize the salesperson, despite the, the weird relationship between salespeople and technical people, <laughs> they are, if you're not thinking from the perspective of how does this tool I know, how does these uh, technical skills leverage a way to say, hey, I can make your business more efficient. I can save your users some keystrokes. I can make um, their ease of uh, setting up these computers better. I can uh, solve this problem. I can get your remote workers connected without a lot of problems. If you start with that, I mean, I could talk to you about the best settings for OpenVPN and the best uh, encryption to use, but you're going to glaze over a person and goes, well, how, how does this help uh, so-and-so in accounting get connected without a lot of questions? That's that's the thing you have to think of from consultancy uh, of why someone would hire you is understanding the value proposition you you will bring to the table on that. How much, uh, like, of your time, how much is it technical and how much is, like, 
like people? I mean, now it's obviously changed because the business has matured, but like in the beginning, did you have to go and like try and do the sales role, stuff like that? Ah, oh, yes. So starting young and having long hair turns out not a great idea. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Especially years ago. Maybe not so bad now, but like years ago. Maybe not, not a, so bad now, but I, yeah. I, I'll never forget. I, it was right around probably 2005. Um, I had met with a, a, a pretty good sized company, thought we were the right person for the job, pitched them on it. And I, I had to do all the sales in the beginning. That's, you know, how it works until you can hire a salesperson. And I just was good at it. So I'm doing the sales and everything else. And they didn't, they thought I left after the conference room, but I actually went in uh, to their little conference room on the next side and got some coffee. But I got to hear the conversation. And they said, nice kid, but I'm not trusting some long haired young young kid like that with my systems. <laughs> I thought that was funny. So I got to hear that. I'm like, I was a little aggravated, but then I said, you know, I'll take this to heart. I'll think about this, how I present myself and make sure I'm not too cocky or anything like that. <laughs> but you didn't cut your hair, did you? No, no, it's still, I, I've had long hair my whole life. Starting a business, I'm assuming like tech skills are not 90% of it. That's just a, a much smaller part. So, you know, could you like give me an indication like, you know, you, tech skills in the beginning were everything because you were in a corporate environment then. You had yeah. to like reduce the, that skill set and then develop other skills. You know, it's I started really learning the sales skills, oddly in yeah. corporate. And I will tell you, okay. this is something that you don't have to start a business to have these sales skills. I, I think you should have them if you want to advance your career. Because when you're sitting there at the table, and you want to pitch to the finance officer, to whoever's in that room, why you need to add this piece of technology. And this is where a lot of people have trouble as an IT. They're like, oh, they wouldn't approve my security budget. They wouldn't approve my uh, procurement of this hardware that's needed to critically, you know, they wouldn't give me enough resources to keep things updated. And now we're under, we're going to be attacked if we don't. Frequently, I... The purse strings are going to be tight at a company. They're trying to understand the value. If you can't sell the value to the people above you, and I'm not saying it's always that you can or it's always – it's not blaming the sysadmin here, but there has to be a strong understanding of how you solve the problem as the IT, as a sysadmin, as a CISO, and you're selling it to the other people there. Understanding – and being able to sell the uh, teams you're on and being able to sell the why we need this product, why we need these things, uh, I thought made me a better sysadmin because I always had the budget to get a lot of things done. And when you're talking about, I said I uh, saved keystrokes in the corporate world and accounting. Well, if you can say, all right, here's the solution. If you give me about $100,000 to hire a programmer, I'm going to save you from hiring two more people in accounting when we do this expansion project. That's a sales proposition. I mean, you can say, I want $100,000 to make the system better. They're going, no, we ain't giving you $100,000 to make the system better. What does that mean? But when you can equate it to, and this is completely, you know, before I had my business, I can make it more efficient. So as our growth opportunity as this company, we were taking on some new business. I said, if there's less keystrokes, but we can increase our business, that means your accountants, you don't have to hire as many people in that team to expand because we're going to solve it with a software efficiency. They go, Oh, that the ROI. Okay, we can check this because if we're paying each accountant forty k to fifty k a year, um, and the ROI is only a one-time cost of one hundred thousand dollars, means all right, that's going to pay off only in, in a little over a year. That's great, perfect. Let's let's do it. And I took those same skills as when I started my business. So when that company, um, that. It would be a, I thought about doing a rant on all the craziness that happened that caused that company to topple. It had everything to do with greed and disorganization and, and the IRS. So, uh, but uh, 
the uh, when I turned them, what was left to that company into some of my first customers, that's how I started my business. But I started my business in, and just kept picking up more and more sales things. But I've always thought about it from those solutions. So I don't, I, I think those sales soft skills are incredibly important for your career advancement. It's how you're going to get ahead. It's how you're going to uh, move up the ladder and not just be a technical person. But then First, is that your goal? Some people are, and I know I employ a few of them, they have zero interest in ever running a business. Uh, in, they're like, they want to be technical. They love technical problem solving, um, not talking to people. If, if you can keep throwing technical problems and not talking to people, I got a few of those people that work for me, they're thrilled to where they're at. They're really happy. And not that's, uh, that's where their goal is. But if your goal is that career advancement, your goal is, or even to start a business, um, having those sales skills and understanding how you're putting a solution together is, is huge. You keep saying that, and I think that's the important thing, is you keep saying, don't look at the technical product, look at the, the benefit that it provides to the customer. And that's why, you know, it's it's great to see how you talk. You're like, I'm not, you're not religious about PFSense, you're trying to help the customer. And if the solution is not right, then, well, we'll pick another solution, is that, is that correct? Yeah, we're always an advocate uh, for the customer. I always start there. It's one of the reasons we we try to shy away from, with the exception of things that only offer partner programs. Uh, we're, you know, as much as I've just talked about PFSense, uh, if you go to the resellers list, you'll find my name not on there. I've been accused of secretly being on there. And I'm like, no, we seriously are not resellers. That is to show that there's no implicit bias we have with the product. Um, yeah. They do offer like partner programs. We just aren't part of it. And we avoid a lot of that because I started as an advocate for the customer. This is just like an ethos we have about the way we do things. So a lot of the products, people are surprised that sometimes we don't even recommend buying them. Matter of fact, um, we had a massive project we did um, where we installed, uh, I mean, I say massive, it's not absolutely huge, but good size, 300 um, Unify access points. And people are like, okay, that's decent size. And when we bid the project, uh, the customer said they have an internal IT team. They're a big enough company for that. They were looking at different outside companies to do it. And everyone wanted to sell them the hardware. And they said, you know, we know how much the hardware costs because you don't need to be a partner to buy Unify equipment. I said, yeah, you're right. Go buy it yourself. Really? You'll bid like that? I said, sure. My value is the labor. You need someone to engineer it, right? And I said, yeah. I said, you need someone to install it? I said, yeah. I said, all right. So just bid on labor and install and engineering. I said, no problem. You guys go find the best deal. Matter of fact, I gave them one of our contacts for buying that many of them that would give them a good deal. And I, because I said, well, there's the, the hardware is a race to zero dollars. And because we became like a partner with them on that, so to speak, and then, well, we charged, they, they knew our rates are not cheap. We, we, we are very proud of what we charge. <laughs> and so they were clear. It was up front. They're like, the labor is going to be this to install all this and done. It was, it, it, they were like, this is great. You guys are easy to work with because we understand the value you're bringing to the table. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you're building a relationship, aren't you? You don't want to just get a quick buck of one sale. How long have you had your longest customer? And I mean, I'm assuming this is where, you know, you it's the long-term relationship, isn't it? Yeah, it is. My very first customer zero type thing, customer one, was from the company that... Um, was that came out of the company I used to work for. So when the company I worked for went under, they were split into different pieces. Well, no one piece wanted to take on my me as an employee or me as a salary. So that's where I started my company was those different companies, which immediately became at war with each other, but didn't seem to mind that I was IT for both because <laughs> they were they were in a, a competitive battle for um, bidding. But um, they have all got absorbed and, dis and some of them just dissolved and went into different companies. But out of them, the people is, is an interesting how I got the next few customers is as some of those companies broke apart, the people said, I know a guy. So they would go work for another company and, and the same thing in the transportation industry. So some of these transportation clients, um, like the first ones we signed up in 2004 and 2005 are still clients today. 
we had a brief period. We left. One of them disappeared for a little while, and uh, then a full force came back to us because they hired an IT guy that really he thought open source was the most terrible word in the world and couldn't believe when they hired him as IT. He really had a thing of not liking me because I used open source. Called me a hippie or something. He had, he was not. <laughs> well, you're not helping with the look either. Are no, you? I wasn't helping. <laughs> so me and him just oil and water. And uh, eventually he put them in a bind and they had a lot of security problems. And after they ousted them, they started with some new people. And the new people said, hey, uh, this guy's local that's got these videos, which turned out when they called us, they found out we used to do work for them, and now we, we've done so much work. The last couple of years has been amazing. Uh, they, it's like when, when they were small, and now they're huge. I mean, this place has got buildings everywhere and a uh, very large transportation provider. And now we're doing we co-managed IT with their IT teams. Uh, we do the infrastructure builds. I'd actually posted these. Um, they're, they're the same size as the Amazon warehouses because someone asked if I was doing an Amazon warehouse when I posted the Twitter pictures of the warehouses we're building, uh, wiring, the infrastructure side. And I'm like, they're, are, uh, they're adjacent to Amazon. They're the same size warehouses. The Amazon's on one side of the parking lot. This company's big enough that their their warehouses are the same as the Amazon centers next door. <laughs> I mean, you, you mentioned that and I, I wanted to actually ask you, it was my next question. Why do you have a YouTube channel? I love sharing knowledge. And as you know, there's an absolute uh, need for more people in technology. So I love open source uh, conferences, a Linux conference or a hacking conference. Hacking conferences are almost always like, to me, like a big show and tell. So they're just fun to go to because hackers are always like, look what I hacked and have to show you right away. Um, and open source is very much the same. Hey, look at these cool things you can do. And so I was giving a talk on firewalls and one of those things where someone said, hey, um, because there was only so many seats that could be in the room for this particular talk and track. And uh, someone says, well, let's be on YouTube. And I kind of said, you know, I, I don't have a YouTube channel. And that, they go, well, that's a shame. I'm like, well, I, I'm technical enough to set one up. So uh, some of my earliest videos were YouTube videos about firewalls. Um, fast forward today, the YouTube channel slowly has evolved. It's actually, I'm very open about this is our inbound lead process. We do videos, we give away an absolute ton of information. And my videos are uh, extremely based on my experience. So I, I mentioned we have a large company we're selling these petabyte storage service to. So I have a whole video on how to set up and configure the petabyte storage. The, the video is actually when I was done with that video, as soon as I published it on YouTube, I sent the link to the client because he says, hey, uh, what's the best strategy for setting up 60 hard drives? I'm like, I'm going to do a video on it because one, you're interested. Two, I bet the audience is too. So uh, a lot of them serve double purpose. We've literally sent, uh, I have a video on doing transparent Sericata traffic inspection, kind of a weird thing to do with a PFSense. It's a demo video for a very large enterprise client. It manages all their SCADA devices. It's That's the real world implementation. They put it in to do transparent management of SCADA devices uh, that can't be down ever because it's a 24 seven facility that um, they're, they're a huge company uh, manufacturing. And uh, they want to know how to do it. So they contracted me for all the setup and we sent them the config files. But I also, in addition to, I said, do you care if the video is public? It doesn't name their name, of course. It doesn't need to. It's just how to do it. And so the whole video is now their tutorial on exactly how to set up these uh, systems. And each plant they have all across the United States has one of these systems at it. It all kind of relates back to my YouTube channel of I love sharing that experience, hopefully heading people off before they uh, find out a product has a problem or a flaw. I like to, I'm, I'm very open about them. It's also one of the reasons uh, when I do, well, I'm still working exactly how I'm going to do sponsorships. I get a ton of companies wanting to request to pay, and I've been very 
very cautious about that because reputation to me is everything. So I'm always. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm working out like ads that are adjacent. I didn't want to sell mattresses, uh, so I haven't taken any of those ads. I want something <laughs> at least technical. <laughs> it's amazing what people want to sponsor. I get the same. You know? Yeah, you get the same ones. And I don't want to sh- uh, shill because I think it's over oversold. Is uh, everyone selling a privacy VPN and pretending like it's the end all solution to your security? And I'm like, no, no, it's oversold by everyone on YouTube, not because they need it, but because it's so easy for VPN companies to sell. It's if a product is easily sold and we can tell you you need a privacy VPN for everything. So I try to be very careful on uh, product reviews, sponsorships. Uh, I'm. I turn down anyone who wants me to, I won't do paid reviews ever. Uh, I have a content ethics policy published on my website and on my channel. I'm, so I'm just very upfront with people on there. Yeah, I, I must say I must say this, this video is not sponsored by any VPN provider. So there we go. There we go. <laughs> no, but I, I wanted to, I want to take it back now for sure. people who are starting um, in their career. Um, you big into Linux, open source, what skills do you reckon are really important for people to learn in 2022? Like if you were starting out, you know, where would you focus? The demand right now in the marketplace for people who, it, it turns a path. If you want to go into the coding, uh, learning the Linux, learn, uh, understanding a lot of, uh, learn Linux right now is definitely a great way to start. Yeah, it is. Everyone needs to learn Linux. Yeah, yeah everyone needs yeah. to learn it. All the different cloud-enabled things are not running Microsoft platforms. It's just not where it's at. Yeah, everyone's trying to build web apps. I've, I've commented this many times where you, if you look at anyone who's going to code the next thing, any of the next things that are coming out are web-enabled programs. Well, all that has a backend that's 99% of the time going to be running on a series of, you know, MariaDB and your Linux stack. Uh, getting into any of the cloud automation and deployment stuff, the the jobs that are unfilled right now are just blow my mind. My friend uh, works for Linux Foundation directly, and, it, you know, he's extremely skilled at uh, designing complete self-healing uh, servers that can be spun up where, you, you know, you have all the data set up uh, completely so the servers are ephemeral from the data so you can just destroy them and rebuild them in a very automated way. But People who understand that automation and orchestration, Ansible, Kubernetes, and uh, everything else, there's the job demand for it is really, really high. It's something accessible that you can learn. Uh, it, there's a lot. There's a lot to learn once you wrap your head around it. But boy, um, the demand for that market space right now is huge. The other side is uh, security. It ain't going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely. Yeah. It's it's really um, hot at the moment. It's been growing a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, you've had John Hammond on here before, and he's. Yep. Me and John are friends because we use uh, the product for the company that John works for. Uh, it's part of the cybersecurity stack that we deploy for our managed clients. But it's learn a little bit of Python. It doesn't require in depth. You don't have to be a Python expert, but having a little Python helps you understand some of the tooling and security, uh, helps you understand the investigations, doing these hack the box challenges so you understand how to get into these boxes. Because once you understand how to get in, that's the first step into figuring out how to keep people out of those boxes. <laughs> so um, absolutely diving into some of the security of it is uh, is huge. So the it kind of depends on what those are the two paths I see that there's like an absolute huge demand for. I'm not going to say there's no demand for um, people with network certifications and things like that. I, it's there. It's definitely if you have a CCNA or any of those, you can get a job. There's no doubt. Um, I don't know where the future lies in some of that as much as I see people um, – the demand that I see on, on like the Linux and uh, container automation. I mean, eventually someone's got to learn BGP because clearly no one understands it because every time there's an outage, it's either DNS or BGP. <laughs> and the reason it's DNS, DNS or BGP yeah. is because there's so few people that understand BGP. My uh, 
One of my other friends, um, I love, I wish I could get him to do an interview. He works for the largest company, um, which was actually previously Arbor Networks. They recently repossessed. He worked for Arbor, works for our company, but his stories over, over a drink of what actually happens in BGP, he's, it's, it's stupidity at a level. You go, no, no, this has to be malicious. And he's like, Tom, I wish it was. <laughs> Because I really wish, he goes, I can't publicly, you know, can't go on camera saying it, but he's just like, there's some people that I can't believe what they did. He goes, you ever wonder why internet went out in part of an area, like maybe an entire Eastern seaboard? He goes, yeah, that was one of the more public ones is Verizon when they did their uh, outage. That was just ridiculous. And it had to do with someone pushed a bad BGP route and they didn't validate it. It's really, it's, it's no more. People thought it was some type of cyber tech. Like, no, seriously, it was a bad BGP route that someone, and he goes, I actually know the someone because he works there. He talks to on the phone he's like i call him like why'd you accept that route like you broke everything yeah we can't get back to routers he goes really he goes we have to drive out there aren't we he goes you sure are like I, he's like the, the problem is we're all human that's the problem we're all humans yeah we gotta get the humans out of this we got that's that's the advantage when you build the automation you build it uh but then again i mean the uh the facebook outage late last year good example of automation gone wrong so <laughs> What's the dumbest stuff you've seen? We took over a client that had got hacked. And uh, I love that, and they were using PFSense, completely uh, coincidental, and we thought it was great because we knew the product. They had a lot of terrible firewall rules that opened up a lot of things, including their phone system, which is wide open to the public. But in the comments, when you create rules, you can put a comment. And whenever you create a rule, there's a comment, the user that did it, and the date. It was about a year earlier from the previous IT people. I don't know what's wrong, is what they put in there, but opening up fixes it. I will fix later. It turns out if you if you have a free PBX with a really bad password and you expose it to the internet, um, someone on the internet will use it because their phone bill is actually what clued them onto it, which is the funniest thing. <laughs> their phone bill was astronomical. <laughs> it's because they uh, had hacked the system and turned it into a call center for some, I don't know if it was, I don't know what they were trying to call, but the list of numbers was just everyone. They were just dialing numbers because it was a free, someone found like a free system. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because on YouTube, if you create a video, yeah, you know what it's like with YouTube comments. It's, oh. um, it's hilarious. Sometimes it's like you create a, you create a, a demo just to demo something specifically. And everyone says that will never happen in the real world because <laughs> yeah, right. Because you think you don't do it. No one else is going to do it. But we both know that normal people, not techies, but normal people don't do it the same way. Any other crazy stories? Another big company we do co-manage for, they have an internal IT department. Um, he had a bad SFP. And based on the, the things he showed me, one of the ports on his core switch is a core 10 gig switch. And I said, you know, that really does look like a bad SFP. I'd try swapping it. And he swapped it. Oddly, he had two bad SFPs because the other one he swapped would, the fiber thing kept flapping as well, kept going on and off. Somewhere along his thought process was, maybe I'll reset the switch. But instead of resetting it, he cleared the config. And when he did that, um, the Unify switches, when you do this, will go back to a default mode. Now, he had VLANs, and he had about 4,000 users, lots of VLANs to keep everything separated. But when you remove all of that, you suddenly re-DHCP your whole network and everything else. The funny part is when he called me, he, goes, he, he called and left the voicemail because it's early in the morning before we open. And he's like, I know I did something terrible. The moment I hit reset, I knew everything was going to go to chaos. He goes, but I waited a minute and it came up and everything went to chaos. And, um, and I called him back and he's just apologizing. I said, don't apologize. He goes, tell me you can push the config. I said, you're in luck. I said, when we were last in your network, this is where I saved all your backups for your config. He goes, I had it. I didn't back it up beforehand. And I'm like, oh, 
I, I know. I That's why every time we made a change, we had a save to config file. Do you keep those? I, I said, you delete them. He's like, I didn't delete anything you did. So we logged into that server. We full, found the old config and pushed it. I'm just like, he's like, I, he goes, I've been a sysadmin for 20 years. He goes, I don't know why I did this. That's what he kept saying. I don't know why I did this. And uh, we, then we brought it back and the, we went back to the flapping problem. And the third SFP worked perfectly fine. So, uh, but it was just long. And he had to pay the bill for, you know, emergency service, getting it all reconfigured. And uh, it was really weird because I, I think it's hard because this is an experience. I respect him. He's a very smart guy. Um it was just so the the disappointment in his voice. It's just we all do stupid things sometimes. It's um, it's we're humans. We, we've all done it. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're honest, we've all done dumb things. My employees have made fun of me because there is there is at least one time Tom was logged into. Uh, I I thought it was updating a fire. I went to update a firewall, and I swear I had logged into the one at my house. So I'm like, I want to push an update because no one's at home, and I'm actually using PFSense at home. I wasn't logged in at home. I was logged in at work, and. Uh, I was because I had both of them up and, you know, my employees are talking to me and getting distracted. I was just like, hey, da, 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 da. And then I hit update and uh, it updated. It the update went well. It took everyone down, knocked all our phones off, broke all the sessions that were currently in use. <laughs> the number of employees in my hanging out in my office, they all was staring at me. They're like, I and I just kind of did this. And they're like, well, they said, I guess it's a lunch break. <laughs> I was like. Yes. Is is, is 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 this when you get taken off the technical stuff and you like pushed into like you must wear a suit now? Yeah. So sometimes you're like, yeah, Tom, we're gonna we're gonna say just don't play with anything uh, while while it's live. We all have work to do, Tom. So I, I will. I've made those mistakes. I don't know. You're just not paying attention. I'll admit, I'm I'm human. I, I think we we've all done dumb things. We've all done it. I mean, uh, especially the, if you've been doing this for a long time. Uh, yes. You, you're gonna make mistakes. So Tom, tell me, is there anything you want to share before we wrap up? Because I've taken a lot of your time. Um, any closing thoughts, any advice to someone who's new in the industry? Just get out there and learn. Don't be afraid to try things. Um, there's, It's not as hard as you think. It all seems insurmountable. Uh, it, it looks like this huge task to learn all of this, to get into technology. Uh, I have a friend who is an amazing success story. Uh, I'm hoping to do an interview with him sometime. Uh, he went from s about eight years ago working in the automotive industry. He's the same age as me too, by the way. He's in his 40s. Um, he worked in automotive and one day he said, you know, I like tech, but I don't do much more than play video games. He's currently a uh, one of the, he's working on becoming a red teamer, but currently at a company, he's head of their SOC at a very large company. He manages wow. 170,000 endpoints. And uh wow. That's an eight-year path from I work in automotive to that. So it, it's – and he's not – he's I'm not saying he's not exceptional. He's a smart guy. He's nice. He's pleasant. But there's nothing – he's not some savant who's just been doing this his whole life. He went from managing and putting parts in buckets, you know, automotive work to uh, I want to learn computers, a few college courses. And uh, we became friends because he lives here locally, but he watched some of my YouTube videos. He says, you know, it's really helpful. He learned a lot of network engineering. It just – really fascinated him and then just became obsessive reading books and uh, a few courses, a few certifications. And he got a job at one place, another place. And he's got good personal skills, by the way. Those that's If you ask him what his uh, secret to success is, he'll, he'll say, I'm way more personal than the people I work with. Like I was able to engage with management and that always got me a promotion. It's great advice. It's like, don't just focus on technical. You've said that a few times. You yeah. Focus on other other things. What about networking? I mean, not like networking per se, like hardcore networking, but I mean like, um, like LinkedIn and stuff like that. Be social. Uh, go on there. Engage on Reddit. Uh, reply to people's comments. Ask questions. Uh, get involved in the community. If the opportunities there, uh, I'm really big. We we ran a couple. Uh, I remember like the, how um, 
DEFCON does the area code, like DEFCON 3. When we, we ran DC 313 for a while uh, pre-pandemic. We would hold on hacker events. And we're like, everyone's invited. We're buying pizza and beer if you drink. It's all free. Um, come to these events. I don't care how much of a noob you are. You're not going to be treated uh, any different. We want everybody here. And uh, that helped a lot because uh, just don't – people are like this, oh, I don't know. I, will I fit in with these people? Just come in and check it out. Uh, so the in-person networking, if possible, is awesome. If not, uh, get in and engage with these communities. There's plenty of everywhere from Discord to that. Just start asking questions. In very, I, I actually coached someone on how to ask a question recently. They said they weren't getting responses, but I said, you know, I said, I think you're asking about the kind of hard drive you want, but you literally wrote three paragraphs. I said, people are very busy, but they're very happy to answer your questions if you can condense it down to a little bit more of basic, even take your questions. That's how you do these small learning steps because no one wants to take the time to read through three paragraphs and go, what's wrong? And you got to narrow it down. But this, it, it, think about how you communicate with a person. Start with, hey, how you doing? Be a little personal online. I'm on LinkedIn uh, and, you know, engage with these forums, engage with the posts and uh, comment back and forth. You'll go a long ways. You make a lot of new friends that way. Uh, that's how I have all these friends that work for these big companies that I get to hang out with. And everyone loves to talk about what they do. So if you start with, say, hey, what do you do? And, you know, uh, oh, I manage BGP for these large companies. Well, that's interesting. Tell me a story. And they're always excited to talk about their work things. Start with that conversation. Uh, if you hit people up for support, you're going to like, hey, I have this problem. Help me solve it. Wait, we just met on LinkedIn 30 seconds ago. I'm going to direct you to some forums or something. Like, <laughs> You've hit it in the head there where it's like, don't just expect, give, you know, help someone else, contribute. Don't just demand. I'll put all your links below. Thank you. Um, really want to thank you for, um, you know, for joining and spending your time with me. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Oh, absolutely. Have, had a great time. Appreciate it. 